Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. The uh, typical journey toward Christmas in American churches is uh, fairly predictable and on purpose. It's because we have this Christian calendar that I talked about last week that, that folks tend to follow. And New Year's Day in the Christian year is the first Sunday of Advent. That was last Sunday. And so each year as we get back to that starting place of our spiritual journey for the year, we kind of retrace our steps from the year before. We, we make this journey through Advent and toward Christmas. And so the preaching at that season typically involves a lot of the old traditional Christmas passages, the great prophecies of Isaiah the prophet regarding the coming of Messiah and and the story of all the miraculous circumstances that were surrounding Jesus' conception and birth and his infancy. Those stories, some of the most precious stories to our faith, they keep uh, reinstilling this idea of the wonder of God into the story of human redemption. We love those stories a lot. But this year, we're going to take a different path toward Christmas. We started this direction last week. Just as the wise men in the Gospels journeyed from the far east toward Bethlehem in search of a great king who eventually would become the redeemer of the whole world, so in the Old Testament story, we also find lots of other folks who were journeying and looking for a redeemer. And we came across the story of Ruth last week. In that story, two women headed from the same direction, from the Far East, even headed to the same town as the New Testament wise men, or Magi, and they were looking for some miraculous help. And no matter who we're talking about here, Ruth and Naomi or the wise men, neither set of searchers knew at the outset of their journey exactly what kind of help they were going to find. They just knew that they needed some help and they'd better start looking. When they did eventually find their great helpers provided by God, they each had revelations from God that changed the course of their lives from that point forward. This Advent season, we're considering the story of Ruth. We too are looking for a redeemer and an encounter with him that will change our lives from this point forward. Last week, we read the first chapter. We're going to continue with chapter two this week. I invite you to stand with me, if you can, in honor of the reading of God's word. Always, Lord, I ask you to just turn on the lights in our hearts. Some of us have read the story so many times, we, we, we know it by heart. I know this story well, and yet there have been some aha moments for me as I've been studying, things that I've, I've overlooked over the years. Lord, thank you for those spiritual surprises that you bring us in the scriptures. Those words or phrases that just kind of leap off the page and become your living word to us. Would you supply those to us today, we ask, as we read your holy word? Amen. Ruth chapter 2. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who's kind enough to let me do it. And Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. 
While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who's that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she's the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She's been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they're harvesting and then follow them. I've warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you're thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I'm only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I'm not one of your workers." Well, at mealtime, Boaz called her, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with his harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her, and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. So Ruth gathered barley there all day, and when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. She carried it back into town and showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over from her meal. Where did you gather all this grain today, Naomi asked. Where do you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He's showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That, that man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. Good, Naomi exclaimed. Do as he said, my daughter. Stay with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's fields and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer. And all the while, she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I always find it interesting to see where love can take a person. People who are otherwise sane, rational human beings become rather unpredictable when romantic love enters the picture. Can I get an amen? Yeah, I was one of those people. 
I was a pretty square and squared away 19-year-old. I was a college sophomore with a perfect grade point average. I lived in my parents' home instead of living in the dorms so that I could save on college costs. I drove a gas miser instead of a really cool car. I went to bed on time so that I could wake up early and be early for my first 8 o'clock class. I turned in research papers early. Some of you are hating me about now. I ran and I worked out and all those things to stay healthy and so that I could participate in college sports. And um, let's see, I also was a guy who hardly ever ate out at restaurants because I didn't want to spend a single penny that I didn't have to. And when other people were out partying in college, I was the guy who was at the library preparing for seminary and, and eventually for pastoral ministry. That is, until the day that I met the lovely Laura Yoakum. At which point, I completely lost my mind. You see why, right? It, uh, it didn't matter how many times I had to fuel up that car and how much money it took because I was going to go spend time with that girl. We went out to eat every single chance we got. I stayed up late. I cranked out research papers on the day that they were due. I didn't have time for sports anymore. I bought flowers. I bought gifts. I paid insane telephone bills because back in that day, every call was via a landline and long distance was extra. My dad made sure that I understood the long distance is extra and I had to write him a check every single month. Yeah. See where love can take a man? For her part, Laura also seemed to have gotten a little bit loopy. Uh, Instead of doing all that fun college weekend stuff, she once a month would spend the hours that it took to drive through the night to come back home so that she could spend a little bit of time with me. She bought gifts. She stayed up late and wrote me letters. Letters, people. Letters, okay? Not letters. Letters. Okay? I still have all of them, by the way. They... um, she sprayed perfume on them. Aw. It's awesome. She paid for that expensive perfume because she knew that I liked it, and it drove me nuts. She even, uh, she even transferred colleges eventually, kind of an expensive and a big life-changing kind of thing. Moved back into her parents' home so that she could commute back and forth with me, and we could have that time together, and uh, left all the fun and the friends of campus life that she'd known before. See where love can take a woman? It's not just romantic love either. If you watch what parents do for their children and what children do for their parents later on in life, you'll get it. Change jobs or work two of them. Buy and sell houses, you name it. When there's parental love involved in the equation, you will see see people go to great lengths to look after the well-being of the other person. After all, that's what love is, its very definition. It's seeing to the well-being of others, even preferring their well-being over our own. The story of the Bible's book, Ruth, is a love story in that sense. It's a story about where love takes you. Elimelech went to great lengths to give his young family a chance, just a chance at surviving a long-term famine in Israel. Moved his family to Moab, we covered that last week, which the Israelites viewed much like 
us moving to uh, Iran or to Afghanistan. See where love can take you when your kids are starving? Naomi, his wife, trusted her husband, made the preparations for an international move. She fled as a refugee with her husband and sons to a place that she never, ever wanted to live. Learn the language, learn the customs of a new people so that they could make their way in that land, Moab, home of their historic enemies. She loved Elimelech, so together they set out on an incredible adventure with the highest possible stakes, though it probably seemed crazy to them and to their families at the time. But because of her love for her husbands and her sons, she bravely did it because that's where love takes you sometimes. After Elimelech died, Naomi buckled down and and finished raising her two sons on her own, eventually seeing them married and settling down into adult life. She was a single mom in a foreign nation where she was despised because of her ethnicity, hated because of her religion, but somehow she still found a way to feed and clothe and shelter those boys and to find them wives because that's what parents did in those days. She was a heroine. Really, all because of one thing, is because of the love. After a series of absolute heartbreaks, you'd think that maybe she'd run out of the want to, but she didn't. After the death of her husband and each of her two sons, Naomi found herself very, very, very vulnerable. She wasn't really a prime candidate for a second marriage because of the way women were viewed there and in the surrounding cultures of that day and time. She had neither husband to take care of her nor adult children who would provide for her financially. And what's more, she had sort of taken upon herself an implied responsibility of taking care of her daughters-in-law. See, when a young woman was widowed in that day and time, they usually went back home to their father's house. But if their father had passed away, and evidently, both of Naomi's daughters-in-law's fathers were gone, where could they go? Naomi's daughters didn't have that option, so Naomi agreed to, to take them in and eventually to take them back to Israel with her, back to Bethlehem in the hope of finding some help there. And I think that maybe it was because Naomi took a look at those two young girls She looked at their chances in their native land with the reputation that they'd taken, uh, you know, from marrying foreigners. She looked at the fact of their dead fathers, and I think she saw younger versions of herself. Young women who didn't stand much of a chance. Desperate women. She loved them because her sons had loved them at first, and eventually she loved them with her own heart. And so... She took upon herself the responsibility to provide for them, and she invited them to join her and and immigrate back to Israel. She could have washed her hands of them. Nobody would have thought any poorer of her because of it. But that's not what love does. So she said, come with. One of the girls, Orpah. One of the things you got to know about Orpah, little sidebar here. Orpah was the namesake of one of uh, the United States' most famous citizens. Oprah Winfrey. Her parents spelled it wrong on the birth certificate, and uh, Orpah became Oprah. Hmm. One of the girls, Oprah, made a love move. She decided to kiss her mother-in-law goodbye. 
We're not sure why. Maybe it was because she didn't want to be a further burden to Naomi, who certainly had been through enough. Maybe it was just that she loved her own mother more. The the text refers to her returning to her mother's home. But for whatever specific reason, it seems that love compelled her to do what she did. She loved Naomi. She kissed her goodbye. She loved her family and went back home to them. It It was through tears, though, that she kissed Naomi goodbye, knowing that it was forever. Because love doesn't like that kind of forever. Ruth, she's the central character in the story. She knew that she was in for a really rough go in Israel. She'd be a hated foreigner who was seen as polluting their race's purity. She'd be seen as part of their national problem. There wasn't a man in Israel who owed her anything, so there was no safety net for her, none whatsoever, none she could have known about at the time anyway when she decided to move there. But she knew that Naomi was too old to find a husband who would take care of her, and she loved her mother-in-law, so she pledged her life to Naomi and to Naomi's people and to Naomi's God. She linked their destinies set out for Israel. See what love can do even among in-laws? A mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law who have very real and big differences. See what love can do even there. See where love can take you if you let it. That's not the end of love's work in this story. Boaz had been going about life and business in a newly prospering Israel that was emerging from that whole famine and drought that we've been talking about. His business had all of a sudden sort of kicked into high gear and he had deals to make and he had farms to manage and he had employees to hire and fire and schedules to work out for harvest. It was the first real harvest in years, and and this one looked like a game changer, so it really had to be handled right. The crop of barley would have to come off just a little bit early so that it could be sold before everybody else has hit the market, and you get the best price that way, as long as the crop's still good. Timing had to be just right. Boaz was in a a sweet but very tight spot, and love was the last thing that he had on his mind, because he was busy. But when he showed up at the farm one day, as harvest was getting started, he saw a collection of people standing at the field's edge, as well as his workers who were out in the field doing their jobs. Israeli law commanded that landowners make an allowance for the poor. What they had to do was to glean their fields loosely, meaning this. They were supposed to leave an edge lot the, the, the part near the edge is usually not the best part of the crop anyway. But leave the edge lot so that the poor could come and work with their own hands and harvest it. On top of that, they were to make sure that the harvesters didn't go over the field a second time and say, oh, we missed a corner over there and go cut that. They were supposed to make sure that as they picked up the, she- the, the, the barley or the wheat and gathered it into sheaves, that they kind of sort of made sure that some fell on the ground so that the poor could have work and have food. So when he showed up at the, farms that day, at the farm that day, Boaz knew exactly what he was looking at, the harvest crew doing their job, and the poor people at the edge of the field looking for the okay. It was a national welfare system that was forced, but it was supposed to be fueled by love and concern for others, because it was a belief that the poor really, truly are still everyone's brothers and sisters. 
So Boaz saw the poor, mostly women, nervously going about their work beginning and and noticed one young woman who stood out from all of the rest of them. And suddenly love was on his mind. Business, 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 until he saw Ruth, and suddenly love was on his mind. He asked who she was, and he learned that she was the daughter-in-law of his cousin's widow. He'd heard she was going above and beyond in caring for her mother-in-law, Naomi, and he had admired her for that before he ever laid eyes on her that day. But when he saw her for the first time, he very quickly made a handful of decisions. He decided that there were some things that were better than money, So he told the binders to accidentally miss some of the barley that the harvesters had cut down and leave it right in front of Ruth where she'd find it. He decided that there was something better than ritual purity, so he invited the foreign woman to drink from their water supply. Said all the rest of the faithful Hebrew people. He decided that pride and social standing could take a hit. Social convention said he was supposed to marry a young virgin from a a prominent Israeli family, a strategic move that could better his place socially and financially and politically. He decided there was something more important than that. He decided he'd take on the entire harvest crew if anyone laid a hand on that girl. He served notice of it, in fact, on day one. Quick decisions, snap decisions, on-the-spot decisions. Why? Because of love. See where love can take you, even if you are a hard-driving businessman or woman? A man's love for his wife, a wife's love for her husband, parents' love for children, Even the love of the notoriously often strained relationship between mothers-in-law and daughters-in-law. The love of a lonely heart that, that looks past all the opinions of other people. What do all these things have in common? They demonstrate a preference for the well-being of the other person over and above themselves, even at great personal expense. That's the very definition of love. And love takes you places that you otherwise never imagined you might go. This love story, the Bible's Old Testament book titled Ruth, is far from over. We'll look at more of it next week in a passage that I'm calling, uh, in a message that I'm calling He Bought the Farm, Episode 2. Okay, last week he bought the farm, today where love takes you, next week he bought the farm, Episode 2. But today I want to ask you a question. Where will love take you? For every human, there is a call to love that is yet incomplete. You can never do all of the love that God calls us to do. You can't exhaust it within one simple lifetime. Where will love take you? There's something that we know we ought to do for someone else, but, well, sometimes things get in the way of love. Or maybe we should just say that sometimes we love ourselves more than we love the other people that we are supposed to help. We don't yet prefer their well-being enough to make ourselves uncomfortable, let alone to really sacrifice on anyone's behalf. Sound a little familiar? When your conscience troubles you over some good deed that you're so far refusing to do, I think you may have just found where love can take you. Do you think that maybe we could just listen to God on the subject for a moment? 
see if he has something that he'd like to say to us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. But as we pray and as we wait and as we handle the elements of the communion supper, let's remember that they represent the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. See where love took him? And let's ask the question of the Holy Spirit. Is there somewhere that love is supposed to take me this week? I'll obey if you'll tell me. And let's listen for his voice. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and drink this, remembering that Christ died for you. And be thankful. Lord, we do remember. Lord, we are thankful. Lord, you have loved us with an everlasting love. We can kind of get our minds wrapped around the notion of a love that never ends, but yours is a love that also had no beginning because you are from eternity past and all along you had this plan for creation and for love and for redemption. A love that has no beginning? You've, you've really loved us forever? Thank you. Together we praise your holy matchless name. We see where love took you. And we can see where love needs to take us. But sometimes our hearts are stubborn and sometimes our necks are stiff and sometimes our fears are great and you are Lord over all those things. We invite you to come to render those things powerless in our lives. And let love, godly love, love like yours for people like us, let it have all the strength and all the power that it needs to function in our lives. Holy Spirit, come and do your work in us so that you can do your work through us, expressing the Father's love to those to whom you send us. We ask forgiveness for having waited this long, for having said a handful of no's to you when you've directed our steps, but today and from this day forward, our answer is yes. Lord, thank you that you showed us what love looks like. Lord Jesus, you came and died on a cross, having forsaken the splendor of heaven and the life of ease that you deserved. You died for a bunch of ingrates. Most people who live on this planet will disregard what you have done for them. They'll write you off. Many already have. But you showed us a selfless love. It says, I'll love all the way to the end. I'll love all the way to the finish. I'll I'll love to the place of sacrifice. Those of us who are gathered here today, we love you back for it. Give us that kind of love for our neighbors. We pray in your holy name. Amen. 
Well, grace and peace to you, my friends. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us today. Understand that as you leave, God goes with you. Why don't you see where he and love take you this week?